Welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm Lynn Galadner, and I've dedicated my life to sharing stories of how people make meaning in their work and find purpose in their lives. On this podcast, we're going to talk about some of the great ideas and activities people do every day to make the world a better place and provide inspiration for others. So much of the meaning we find comes from interacting with great people, developing relationships that are mutually beneficial, and doing work that inspires everyone. I hope you'll be inspired by the people you meet here. We all need to find a way to make meaning in the mundane. Welcome back to the Make Meaning Podcast. This is a really special episode because we launched one year ago on July 9th, 2018, featuring my dad, Norman Cohn, because he was my first guest when the podcast launched on his 80th birthday. So that was a really, really big deal. Very exciting and inspiring. My dad is my best business advisor, and I look up to him for just about everything. So I invited him back onto the podcast today. So dad, welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast a year later. Thank you, Lynn. Nice to be here. And we also are joined by Kirsten Karub, who is our VP of Operations and Strategy. So Kirsten, welcome to the microphone. You've been behind the scenes the whole time, and now you're actually on the air. I know. This is such a fun um, experience, so I'm glad to be here. Yeah. So I thought we would do two things on this episode. First, I thought we could um, look back over the past year and see what we have really learned, how it's evolved, and any takeaways that we've um, really sort of collected about meaning and purpose. And then And um, my dad suggested that we talk about the 75th anniversary of D-Day, which just happened recently, and um, just pay homage to the very brave people who gave their lives and fought for us to be free and talk about things like meaning and purpose. So um, let's just start talking a little bit about how the Make Meaning podcast focuses on how people make meaning in their lives and find purpose in their work. I guess, Kirsten, I would ask you, you know, are there any broad strokes that you think we've learned in a year of producing this podcast? Oh, absolutely. I mean, just myself having been working on this and finding guests and reaching out to people and looking at, you know, the things that they do and how they make meaning, it can really, meaning and can come from anywhere. Mm -hmm. And purpose can be found or followed in so many different ways. So, um, you know, Right away, you think of, well, people who are, are making a difference, it's automatically someone who's doing a nonprofit work or something like that or a service work. And sometimes it is, but sometimes it isn't. Right. And it can be found in retail. It can be found in industry. It can be found, you know, any place like that, some, that someone's making a difference or, or making meaning out of what they're doing. Yeah. Raising a family, um, yeah. having great relationships, you right. know, um, living somewhere that they believe in and and contributing to that city. Um, You know, so I started the podcast um, with this vision of, you know, first talking with my dad about his amazing career and the family that he's built. Um, And then I had um, Barbara Jones and Paul Saginaw um, who are on right after he was. And, you know, they're both mentors of mine and they've been um, really instrumental in helping me build my career just like my dad has and even build my life. You know, um, I mean, Barbara Jones, I met when she was an editor at a magazine and asked her for her guidance on my writing. But over the years, you know, we've stayed friends for, I don't know, 25 years and um, she gives me advice on career. We talk about parenting. Her kids are a little older than mine. So she talks about now, you know, looking at colleges, what I need to know. Um, 
and and we've helped each other too, which is really cool. You know, and Paul Saginaw, as one of the founders of Zingerman's, um, he's just such an amazing guy. He's actually um, going to lead our team on a, you know, a team building retreat and understand more about what we're doing as a company. But he started by building a deli and, um, and now it's 11 businesses. It's a community of businesses and the way they operate is so inspiring and meaningful in business. Um, but he's also given me advice on parenting and relationships and, and managing and, um, and has been, the, the, the thing is that they've all been generous with their time. You know, like I can't, I can't, show how grateful I am to, you know, all the advice that I've been given and um, the mentors who take time to spend time with me and others, you know, and I learned that from you, dad. I mean, you um, have always looked out for people. And if somebody asks your advice, you're willing to give it. And that's generosity. I mean, I think that that's a really big deal. So thank you, Lynn. I appreciate that. (laughs) Have you mentored other people throughout your career too? Yes, but the best I think the advice I got was I asked my father one time what he thought of something. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, you really want to know? And I said, yes. And he said, I'll tell you what I think you should do. But if you do the opposite, don't come back and talk to me about what happened. <laughs> yeah. If you, you'd be careful what you ask for, because you better be prepared to follow it. You're right. Yeah. I think those little simple nuggets of wisdom are so powerful. Um, so while we're looking back on a year of podcasting, I know that there were every single episode was fantastic. And I'm so grateful to everybody who helped us launch and came on this show. Um, we don't have a huge following yet, but we're on our way. Um, so thank you to everybody. I know there's a few little takeaways we wanted to pull out from a couple of episodes. So which ones really um, stand out, Kirsten? Yeah, um, I think of some of the different themes that we talk about as a firm at your people, you know, um, storytelling and messaging, making relationships and connections and finding purpose. And there have been different episodes that I've thought about that kind of hit each of those areas. And um, one in particular about kind of connections and relationships is was the episode with Rachel Lutz mm-hmm. when she talked about her boutique shops um, and the Peacock Room was one of them for sure. And Frida and Yama. And Fr- yeah, exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so she had talked about how, first of all, that wasn't her, she didn't set out to open retail shops, but she just kind of had this inspiration. And she, um, and one thing that was important to her was filling the stores with things that had meaning mm-hmm. and that they there was a meaning behind them. So when someone came in and said, I'm looking for a birthday gift, she could say, well, this is something that, you know, and really help guide them. And so it became more of a an experience for the customer, too, where they could build relationships and build a sense of trust and know that when they came in, they would have a good experience. And she had this great phrase, which was transcending transaction. Mm-hmm. And so you just get the sense that when you go there, you're more than just a Yeah. And then people will come back because they have that that connection and relationship. And and plus just what she was doing to help um, foster Detroit itself and revive Detroit um, on top of it. And she just really, you know, saw her role in so many different ways. Yeah. And um, so I thought that was a a really good kind of episode that that lifted that up. Um, One of the things we talk about is how people find purpose. And she had said, you know, it just kind of came to her. Sure. But other people have said that they've gone out and found it or pursued a passion. And and so just even the different approach of how purpose is revealed has been interesting to hear. Yeah. Um, 
And one of those, another one I'm thinking of is Andrew Stein, because he had this kind of aha moment. He had thought success and purpose was defined by your um, career as a as a doctor or a lawyer or something like that. His his role models as successful people were people who were doing those kinds of jobs. But then when he worked for City Year, mm-hmm. he saw other people who were successful and leaders and they were doing nonprofits and making a difference through the work they did. Yeah. So even though he had pursued a career in law, he he switched and went back to City Year and he's still, you know, finding success and leadership and making a difference through the schools in Detroit. So the really interesting turns in people's lives. Sure. I loved the episode with the God Squad. Mm -hmm. Um, So this was a bunch of rabbis, young uh, millennial rabbis in Metro Detroit who um, use music as a way to get people involved in the Jewish community. And we had them in the studio um, jamming on their guitars and singing. It was really fun. And it was just sort of a way to reimagine religion and spirituality so that it's accessible for everybody, Mm -hmm. um, which I thought was very cool. And um, I love speaking with Dr. Mesrich, Mm -hmm. who's a transplant surgeon and his episodes airing soon after this one we will have it in the in the podcast notes um but he had this revelation early in his career that he wasn't connecting with the person or the patient and so it really transformed how he looks at everything um so that was pretty cool too um we've had a lot of really great guests we have and even when you brought up mentorship i was thinking about another guest who um actually her her episode is going to air on June 17th. So it will have just been our most recent episode, um, Natasha Gwines at her Resiliency Center. And she was a person who had a story. We talked about storytelling and how it builds relationships and connections with the listener. And she actually had a story that she tried to hide for quite a while. And then she realized that um, she wasn't being her whole self by hiding that part of her. And she brought her two selves together and told and shared her story. And in doing so, she was able to make connections for people, vulnerable young adults, and help them get out of risky situations and get you know, a better life. And they do it through connections and providing opportunities through mentorship. Yeah. So it's another way that mentoring can actually, you know, pull somebody out of a bad situation and give them hope and for a better life. Yeah. So, so, um, so if you have, if you're new to the Make Meaning podcast, we have lots of episodes. Um, we are, you know, closing the door on one year and launching into the next and we love what we're doing here. So check out all of our past episodes and we'll have links on the website to other episodes as well. But I want to pivot and um, dedicate this episode to talking about how it's been 75 years since D-Day, which was June 6, 1944, um, and pay homage to the people who died there and fought for us. And I wanted to start by sharing a quote from President Barack Obama, which he said in 2014. He referred to D-Day as Um, This was democracy's beachhead, and our victory in that war decided not just a century, but shaped the security and well-being of all posterity. Um, So I wanted to share just some of the stats that I found in my research. So, Dad, you gave us a tall order. You said you wanted to talk about D-Day, and I know that you are quite a history buff, and your um, depths of knowledge are vast, and ours were not. So we had to do our research and make sure we could speak about this really well. Um, And so what I learned was that more than 200,000 Allied soldiers landed on the beaches of Normandy from June 1944 until August. And that that led to the liberation of Western Europe from Nazi control. 
and that it began with 156,000 American, Canadian, and British troops landing there on June 6th across a 50-mile stretch of um, coastline, which was really fortified by um, German forces. And so it was treacherous. And I've, I've seen movies and I've done the history lessons, but um, Dad, I wanted to invite you to sort of share you know, what it means to you and why you think this is such an important commemoration. Well, it was the handing off of one generation to another. Now, you have to remember most of the young men that went to war came out of a depression. Uh, there were bread lines. There were people uh, wanting to get to a job, but they couldn't. Um, and really what propelled this government in this country into the future, unfortunately, was the Second World War. Mm-hmm. Um, And living in Detroit, uh, I can remember that this was a a 24-hour-a-day factory. Hmm. Uh, People, uh, there were no cars manufactured. Uh, Everything went into the war. Mm -hmm. Um, Willow Run was built uh, as an airport uh, because B-24 Liberator bombers were built there. Um, And I believe by Ford Motor Company personnel. And you had General Motors making um, tanks and artillery pieces and machine guns. Mm-hmm. And um, it was uh, the arsenal of democracy. There were others. Uh, the West Coast of the United States, uh, because the weather had uh, the aircraft factories. Uh, and uh, people went to work, uh, even women. Uh, the famous Rosie the Riveter uh, because the men were going to war. And so you had um, uh, a full um, industrialization, uh, full up of um, the ability uh, to wage a war against uh, an evil evil empire. Um, And so uh, it, it was for me, and I was six at the time that the invasion started, it, it was interesting to see all of what was going on. And even though I was that young, I still picked up things. Mm-hmm. You understood what was happening? Oh, definitely, because I saw people in uniform all over the place. Yeah. Um, and I remember my mother, she made bacon. Uh, she would take the fat and put it in a can. Um, that was for um, the fat went to making um, munitions. Really? And so, um, everybody contributed and you had, um, you know, warrant stamps to buy things because there weren't many things. I mean, you walk into a grocery store, which were little at the time, and there were barrels of pickles. Okay. Okay. So you would buy the pickles. There wasn't a jar. Right. As you, you know it. Because a jar was glass, right, and it had a metal cap. Mm-hmm. Metal was needed for the war. Sure. So you got everything fresh every day. Huh. Um, and uh, and it was just a, a very interesting time. There were coupons for rationing gas if you had a car, which probably was seven, eight years old, because there were no cars being built after 1941. Um, and you had so many gallons of gas you could get in a month's time. But we also had great, you know, um, 
transportation. You had buses, you had streetcars. Sure. Uh, and people got around um, with public transportation. Yeah. Uh, I My parents didn't have a car, I think, until after the Second World War. Hmm. So you had uncles who were fighting in, in the Pacific. I had two uncles that were fighting in the Pacific and one that was fighting in Europe. Um, so Uncle Al was in the Aleutian Islands. My uncle that was in the Aleutian Islands um, shipped out <clears throat> 1942. Okay. He was in 1942 uh, in his early 20s. Okay. He spent um, three years in the Aleutian Islands. He said they had a dog that hmm. apparently the Japanese had left. Hmm. Uh, and he said, thank God for the, for the dog because that was company. <laughs> Um, that's up by Alaska, right? That's north, the northern part of uh, Alaska. Okay. Uh, after the illusions, uh, come Siberia over okay. a period of water, you know, length. Okay. But I remember him telling me that his last duty station, um, actually where he embarked to go to the illusions was out of the port of Los Angeles. Okay. And he said they bivouacked in tents under the palm trees, and he said it was a clear sky, and he could see the stars. Hmm. And he said all he could think about when he was in the Aleutians was that night looking at the stars in Los Angeles. Wow. He came back to Detroit, <clears throat> 1946, got his mother, who was a widow, mm -hmm. moved to California and lived there the rest of his life. I remember. He was a cool guy. He was really neat. And happy. He was very happy. He he didn't seem I mean, like he felt like he did his duty and he was proud to do it. And then he lived a good life after that. He also told me a story after the Second World War. He was driving <clears throat> to see somebody and he heard machine guns go off and he pulled to the side of the road and dived under the, the seat. And then he realized there was a movie studio across the street. <laughs> oh, gosh. Wow. wow. A little PTSD mm -hmm. there, you know. Um so you had two other uncles who were fighting, and I'm not sure who. So tell me, who did you have in the Pacific, and then who was in Europe? Well, the my uncle that was in the Europe was was in Europe was a um, in the medical corps. He was a medic, and he was stationed in Naples. Okay. And um, in 1990, your mother and I had the pleasure of going to Italy. Mm -hmm. And when one of the places we went was um, an Italian town called Positano, mm -hmm. which is um, very pretty. And you looked uh, um, uh, from the, the seashore, you look straight ahead. And in the distance, you could see the Isle of Capri. Okay. And I had dinner with my uncle, who also went to Los Angeles after the war. I told him about the beauty of Positano. He looked at me, he says... Beauty, I walked those damn hills in 1944. It wasn't so beautiful. <laughs> yeah, different perspective. And the other uncle was um, the the <clears throat> was two years older than my father, and he was he and my father were very close, and he was in <clears throat> the carnival business uh -huh. as a kid, um, and then became the owner of shows on the West Coast called West Coast Shows. 
He went into the Air Force in the Second World War as a PFC, uh, came out at the end of the war as a captain, mm-hmm. and was in the Pacific. Mm-hmm. Um, we, my sister and I and my dad and my mother, went to California to visit my grandmother, who had emigrated to California from Michigan mm-hmm. with my uncle. Mm-hmm. Um at the time of the Korean War, 1953, mm-hmm. uh, we went to visit my grandmother, and we stopped because in Denver because my uncle had been called back to active service in the Air Force, hmm. and so we he was at Lowry Air Force Base, and we went to the officers' club for dinner, mm-hmm. and I met an Australian general, mm-hmm. and I said to the general, how do you know my uncle? Now you have to remember, my uncle Bob was no more than five foot three. Right. He said, oh, Bobby and I went in on the, uh, via submarine to Bougainville before the, uh, before the invasions. Now I'm 15 years old. I looked at my uncle and I thought, oh my God. Never spoke about it, never said a word. Mm-hmm. And here he goes into an uninvaded area uh-huh. via submarine uh-huh. and he had to be close to 28 or 29 uh-huh. at the time uh-huh. never talked about it that was that generation yeah mm-hmm. you, you, if you asked maybe they'd say something sure but they went they did what they had to do they came back and they established themselves and made things better for us yeah well I mean that I don't know that I can relate. I can I can read the history, I can see the movies. Thankfully, I mean I, ha- I haven't lived in a time like that. I mean we've had we had 9/11, we've had all kinds of horrible conflicts, but I haven't had any friends that had to m- mandatorily go to war. And I can't imagine what that must have been like and how um proud and brave those soldiers were to be really defending our way of life and and protecting freedom. You know, I just, I can't even imagine how that was really dangling by a thread. It was an honor to put, up, put on that uniform mm-hmm. to represent your country. You either had to serve, we had to take care of business, as people would say. We had to defeat uh, an evil um, empire, both in the Pacific and in Europe. Right. Uh, to forge a new way of life for everybody. Right. And they did it. They did it. And no wonder they call them the greatest generation. Right. So what did it feel like for you when it was D-Day's 75th anniversary? Well, I went to Normandy, um, to the to the cemetery um, in 19, let's see, 93. Mm-hmm with your mother and you walk up above overlooking uh, the English Channel and the cemetery is there spread out with crosses, stars of David, um, quietness. I remember saying to your mother um, and there's a, uh, a place in the middle of the cemetery where you can go in um, to pay respects to all of the people that lay there. And I said, you know, 
were walking with death. And it was, it, it, it tore at your insides. Uh, you, you think about the 18, 19 year olds who didn't have a chance, who did their duty and didn't come home. Right. And I personally owe them a lot. Yeah. It's, it's the, they made my life a whole lot better. Yeah. And they made it possible. We wouldn't be here without them. And I was fortunate about last month, your brother in, had invited us to meet him in New Orleans to visit the Second World War Museum, mm-hmm. which was um, a place that everybody should go mm-hmm. uh, because it's another way of paying respect. Yeah. And I met a man who was sitting at the entrance and he had a veteran's cap on and he was 94 years old. Wow. Grew up in New Orleans, went to war, came back, um, talked to him for a few minutes, thanked him for his service, and went to see everything that that museum offers. And it, it was um, a must to for everybody to go see. Yeah. Well, it's interesting to think about, you know, as long as we have um, veterans and survivors alive to tell us their experiences, we get firsthand accounts and we have fewer and fewer, you know, especially Holocaust survivors. We have the last ones, Um, veterans. You know, I was fortunate in high school. um, My American history teacher, Mr. Finney, if you remember him, he assigned us um, a paper that we had to interview a veteran of a 20th century American war. And Uncle Al came to town and I interviewed him and I I need to find that paper because I don't know where, I know I saved everything, but you and I have that in common, but um, mom might've thrown it out. I don't know, <laughs> but I'll have to look I'll for true. it. <laughs> but, um, but I was so lucky to hear from my great uncle what his experience was firsthand, you know, and, um, and grandpa, I mean, mom's dad, grandpa Artie, he was a veteran of World War II. And so I got to hear from him. And I just wonder about my kids and their kids who won't have that option, you know, to hear firsthand accounts. It's just in history books for them, you know. And unfortunately, the World War II veterans are dying at, I understand, about 300 a day. Really? So it will not be long before they won't be here. Right. It's similar to veterans of the um, Civil War. Yeah. By 1940, 1950, they were all gone. Right. I mean, I feel like there's that, that cliche that history is destined to repeat itself, you know, and God forbid, I hope it doesn't happen. But I just wonder how we keep those lessons alive when the people who experienced it are no longer, you know, how do we make it, um, meaningful so that our children and our children's children don't repeat the same mistakes. And we're in a time when there's a lot of isolationism and fear of the other that feels to me all too familiar to what happened that led up to world war two. I don't know if that's being alarmist or if that's, if it's on point, you know, what do you think? 
Well, <clears throat> I think that first off, uh, today's this country, um, and I don't want to be political, um, is suffering from um, <clears throat> its ability to uh, think from future instead of going in and, and rejecting uh, a woman uh, who runs for president. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying it was bad or it was good, um, but we've had some presidents that haven't measured up, but we have the strength to go back on an election a year from now, uh, and I think things will change. Yeah. But I do think that this recent election showed us some big divisions in our country and that um, hatreds run deep. I thought I thought they were gone, but I was really naive. I think that they're still here. People still fear what isn't familiar to them, you know? Well, you have to remember, we built everything here in the, in the Second World War and in the 1950s, which were considered the best 10 years of the 20th century. Um, and then we lost sight of the fact that uh, we had a, a manufacturing juggernaut that could do anything. And um, unions, as good as they were, became somewhat greedy. Uh, and we had um, <clears throat> 2008, where we almost went into a depression. Mm -hmm. uh, the government was strong enough to respond. And we, you know, when, I'll put it to you this way. You want something, you have to earn it. Mm -hmm. Nobody gets anything without earning it. Mm -hmm. uh, when your mother and I bought our house, we had to have 10% down, plus we had to show three years of prior earnings mm -hmm. to see if we qualified for a mortgage. Right. If we didn't qualify for a mortgage, we couldn't buy the house. Right. Plain and simple. Yeah. And then we have from the period of about 1995 to 2008, anybody and everybody got a mortgage yeah. who didn't deserve it. Right. Well, then we deserve to happen what happened to us because we gave money to people who didn't deserve that money. Or, yeah, and the premise was that everybody should own a house. That's not true. Yeah. If you can't afford it, then you can't do it. Right. Uh, your grandfather had an expression your mother used to say. She'd ask him something. He says, is this a necessity or a luxury? Uh-huh. And it's true. Well, she used that line with me growing up. So when I tell everybody that when I go shopping for clothes, I hear mom's voice saying necessity or luxury. And I'm really discerning about whether I buy something. But when I go into a bookstore, I hear your voice, which is saying to me, books are knowledge and you can never have too much. And so I have no control in a bookstore. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, but you're right. I mean, I think that we learn from our mistakes. Um, that was a pretty big one in World War II. And I hope we never face a mistake like that again. Well, we came out strong. Yeah. We were the leader of the free world. We rebuilt Germany and the, the Western European countries. We, 
we changed the Japanese from where they were to a country that is a fine and good alloy, ally, mm-hmm. and they changed. Mm-hmm. So we had a lot of goodness coming from that war yeah. for the rest of the world. Yeah. So what else should we think about today as we remember D-Day and pay homage to um, the people who fought there? Well, I think one of the things you have to think about was the people we liberated. Now, when we were in Normandy in 1993, we had people come up to us, you know, well, welcome, what can we do for you? Um, we're also in Paris, and a woman came up to me, and she started talking in English. Mm-hmm. And they always say, well, in Paris, people, you know, don't think about the Americans. They only think about themselves. <laughs> Wasn't true. Uh-huh. Although there was, a, uh, I have to laugh, we, we went to dinner at a restaurant and I asked the waiter, because uh, I had ordered a steak, if I could have some ketchup. <laughs> the consternation in his face was, and your mother's, was magnificent. And I just looked at your mother and said, what do you want from me? I'm an American. I love it. I love it. But the people were great. And in Japan... And I've been there numerous times. The Japanese people just couldn't do enough. Yeah. Um, and I appreciate all of the people in the world who respond to Americans. Yeah. And they respond positively. Yeah. So that's good. Good that came out of that. Exactly. Yeah. So it's a legacy that we should remember. That um, you're right. They were they were boys. They were just a little bit older than Asher fighting there, which is terrifying to think about, um, but how brave that is. And I sure hope that um, we all feel that bravery and pride to defend freedom and what everything stands for. And so um, I don't know if there's anything else we want to cover on this episode of the podcast. I know Kirsten is smiling silently over here, um, but um, and I want to get through this without getting all tearful, but I do want to thank you, Dad, because you've always been my inspiration. And even for this podcast, you know, I, I went out on my own as an entrepreneur at 27 because you showed me that way, and both you and Mom said, give it a try. You have nothing to lose. So I've always had your support, and I, I wouldn't be doing this podcast or have this successful company um, if it weren't for you. So thank you. That's what America's all about. You're right. Well, thank you so much for listening to the Make Meaning podcast for the past year, and uh, here's to the next year and years to come. Thank you for having me, Lynn. Thanks. It's been great, and I really enjoy this, this podcast. I look forward to the next year. Awesome. Great. Thanks for listening to the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm Lynn Galadner, and I've really enjoyed being here with you today. You can find the Make Meaning Podcast wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And I'd love it if you'd share our great conversations with all your people so we can add meaning wherever we go and whatever we do.